Please turn with me in your Bible to the book of Romans. We're in chapter 5, and we are going to look at the first five verses uh, this evening. I'll read for us from chapter 1, or chapter 5, verse 1, down to verse 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Let's pray together. Father, such an important section of scripture, so practical, so deep, and Lord, we pray that you would meet us in the truths of the scripture. We want to know them with our mind and academically, but we want to embrace them through faith, these truths. We know that you're with us, so we sense your, your Holy Spirit as we're worshiping. So Holy Spirit, would you move through this time? Would you bring comfort? Would you bring refreshment? Would you bring encouragement? Would you bring grace to enable us to stand? God, would you bring hope, perseverance, character, May we rejoice in the hope that we have and the peace that we have with you. We welcome you into this time. In Jesus' name, amen. As we've been going through the book of Romans, it's building on the message of God's grace. We spent the first three chapters showing why we need God's grace. It was God's courtroom. He brought us before the holy judge, and we very quickly realized that we need God's grace for salvation. We end chapter 3 by seeing that we're justified freely by God's grace through faith. There's not a reason in us that would cause this great gift, but God in and of himself is good and he's kind. Then Pastor Kent took us through chapter 4 and we saw these illustrations of those that had received grace in the Old Testament. Abraham and David, patriarchs to the Jews, very much looked up to by the Jewish people, And both had received God's blessing in their life by grace. And as we go into chapter 5, we find this word, therefore. So in light of the way David received grace, the way Abraham received grace, we're to receive grace in our lives and walk in that grace. The important thing to understand tonight is the grace of God is not just a singular act in our lives the moment that we got saved. That is a huge outpouring of God's grace, but it was the beginning of a whole lot more to come. So God desires to continue to move in our lives through grace. So if you were going to try to title this message, it's how grace affects us on a daily basis, how we live in God's grace as we go through our lives. As we look at these five verses, you're going to notice that it has a lot to do with our feelings, with our emotions, and our attitudes. Peace is something that you feel. Love is something that you feel. Hope is something that you feel. And so it's going to connect with our feelings and and our emotions, our attitudes. But in the midst of that, you'll find faith mentioned two times. That what connects us to these things is, is our faith. And then also you'll notice a phrase, we have. We have. Our tendency is to focus on what we don't have. Whether it's financially, 
it's always easy to look at the finances of what we don't have. You know, whether it's our health, well, these are the things that are missing in my health. Relationships, oh, well, this is what's missing in my relationships. Instead of seeing maybe the strength of the relationships around us, or Lord, it's not as much as I was anticipating, but I'm so thankful for what you've provided. And what we'll find in these verses of what we have is unchanging. It's unchanging. It's not something that the world can move around or the circumstances that we go through. Dr. Donald, Donald Barnhouse, he wrote in his commentary on Romans that when a believer's Bible falls open, it should fall to Romans chapter 8, which I agree. Stick with us on Wednesday night in Romans because we will get to, to chapter 8. But right behind chapter 8 should be chapter 5. I think this should be a well-worn page in your Bible. I enjoy reading the Word of God on my iPad. It's a, it's a great way to, to read God's Word, but there's still no substitute for having the hard and fast. I hope you still have a literal copy of the Word of God that becomes like your best friend, that you know, I don't know exactly the reference, but I know the page. And I, here I, I can go, and you might not have it with you tonight. That's okay. This isn't a message of condemnation, but have one. And have this section of scripture underlined. I find underlining, writing notes, it really helps me in engaging with the scripture. So let's begin in verse 1. It says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So in light of all that we're learning about grace, therefore, in light of Abraham and David, therefore, having been justified. This word justified, it means to be declared righteous just as though we've never sinned. Positionally, this is our relationship before God, that he sees us in his son. We have been justified by what? We've been justified by faith. We trusted in the finished work of Jesus Christ. It wasn't by our works. It wasn't by our merit. We believed God at his word, at his promise, and he justified us. So the result of that justification is we have peace with God. So justification for peace. And peace is used in a couple of different ways in the New Testament. There's the peace of God. In Philippians 4, it talks about the peace of God that surpasses our understanding. It really has to do with our circumstances that we go through. This is different. This is peace with God. This is positionally, we can rest tonight knowing that God is not angry at us if we're justified, if we're in Christ. We can rest knowing that if we pass away tonight, that we go home to be with the Lord, that our relationship with him is at a place of peace. This is the most important thing in life. This is the thing to have squared away. Remember before you knew Christ as your savior and you didn't have peace with God, the kind of wrestling that was there, the weight of sin upon your shoulders. Then you came to know Christ and you went to sleep knowing that you have peace with God. Before we knew Christ, we were at enmity with God. We were the enemies of God. We were opposed to God. We were objects of, of his wrath. But now we're in Christ. And even when we blow it, even when we make mistakes, even when we sin, we don't lose this position that we have with God. Now, in no way does this excuse a life of willful rebellion. We wouldn't want to abuse this relationship that we have with God. But it speaks of the position that we have with the Lord. 
we have a, a staff member, Robert Dotson, who's been in the hospital now for almost two months. And he's slowly making a recovery. He works part-time in the cafe, had a heart attack. It's been a long road. Uh, his health is not what it used to be, but it's a journey forward and upward. But you know what? Tonight, Robert Dotson has peace with God. That's something that can't be taken away from him. It's a position that he has by faith as he's trusted in Jesus Christ as his Savior. If Jesus is Lord, if you trust him for salvation, guess what? Nothing in this life can touch the fact that you have peace with God. You get laid off at your job. You get fired at your job. You go home that night, you still have peace with God. Relationships come, they go, you have peace with God. This is the foundation of our text to know and rejoice that we have this peace. Notice that it's through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how that we can come to this place of peace. Let's look at verse 2. Through whom? Speaking of Jesus. So Jesus has brought us into peace with God, and Jesus brings us here. Through whom also we have, there's that phrase, we have peace with God, and we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. God is promising access to grace to provide the strength to be able to stand. Now, grace is a gift that comes outside of us. It's something that God grants to us. So just like he grants salvation, just like he grants justification, he's wanting to grant grace in the midst of trial and difficulty and mundane everyday life to give us the ability to be able to stand. We have this access. This is an open door that's been granted to us by Christ, by the blood of Jesus, where he welcomes us in to say, come on in and receive this grace. It's kind of like free refills. It's there. You have access to it. Think about maybe someone you long to have access for, but it's just not possible. Maybe it's a hero. Maybe it's someone you really expect, respect. Maybe it's an author. Maybe it's someone like Bill Gates, if you're a computer guy, or Steve Jobs, if he was still alive, or the President of the United States of America, or a pro athlete. Who's that person that you'd be all geeked out about tonight if you had access to? But it's not possible. We don't have access to them. But far greater, you have access to Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. Access to the Father, where he'll give grace. You don't even have to deserve to be there. You don't even have to come to God's throne room and go, aren't you so proud of me today? I did my devotions. Aren't you so proud of me? I gave to your work, to the the kingdom of God. Nope, you come by grace. You come by the blood of Jesus. So whether you've had a good day or a bad day, it really doesn't matter. You're coming for grace. I find that this is somewhat challenging if you're like me because oftentimes I don't want to admit that I can't do it by myself. So I'll try to do it myself. Try to do it on my own strength. I got my own answers. It's not something that I think through necessarily. It's just flat out stubbornness. Then I get to a place where I'm wiped out, I'm tired, I'm tired of banging my head against the wall, I'm tired of not getting results, and I go, okay, God, I get it. I need your grace. I need your grace. Would you please give me your grace? 
And hopefully, the longer that we mature in Christ, the sooner we come to access that grace. What stands out to me in this is that we would stand. Church, God wants us to stand. He wants to meet us in such a way through His grace that whatever the day holds, we're able to stand. Growing up in southern Oregon, we were only about an hour and a half from the Pacific Ocean. It's beautiful to walk along the ocean. The Oregon coast does not sit down and get a tan. A nice day in the Oregon coast is in the high 70s with some sun and some wind. I mean, you just don't get warm water and warm temperatures, but it's majestic. So you're normally walking up and down the beach looking at God's creation. And if you're not paying attention, a sneaker wave comes upon you and you're not standing anymore. It takes you out. Right before I moved to Colorado, I was living in Idaho, and I drove to Portland, Oregon to take my grandma to the beach, my grandma Cartier. She's now home to be with the Lord. She loved the ocean. I loved the ocean. I knew I was moving east, and so I was like, this would be a fun time to take grandma. So I pick her up, and we drive out to, to the ocean, and we're walking and talking, and sure enough, we're not paying attention, and a sneaker wave takes out grandma. She's, you know... And I felt so bad. She knocked, got knocked right on her keister. Picked her up and, and, and she was fine. But a lot of times that's life, isn't it? We're going to get knocked down. We're going to get surprised. I don't think there's any way to prepare for some of the things that will happen in life. You're going to get knocked down. I'm going to get knocked down. And it's those moments that then we come to the throne room to receive grace where God picks us up. He picks us up and he enables us to stand. So the word picture here is not us being so strong to pick ourselves up, but God in his love and his grace going, I have grace to save you. Now trust that I've got grace to help you. Let me pick you up and I'm going to hold you and I'm going to enable you to stand. Let's look at a couple other references in scripture to this truth. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. And let's look at this promise given to us in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 4, verse 14 through 16. And we're going to be here in a few weeks on Saturday and Sunday. But this is the access to the grace that God has given to us. Hebrews 4, verse 14 through 16. Seeing that we have, again, here's that word, that phrase, we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all tempt, in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come occasionally, therefore let us come timidly, Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There's the promise to the access. The blood of Jesus is so thorough and so powerful. The veil of the temple has been torn in two where God's saying, you come boldly. You come often. You come with confidence. You come with faith that I'm going to give this grace in the time of need. Another reference, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 Let's do a little bit of Bible aerobics tonight. So, 2 Corinthians 12. Verse 
If you find it first, if you could stand up and read it, we'll have a little sword drill here. Second Corinthians 12, verse 7 through 10. Same principle, grace given to cause us to be able to stand. Second Corinthians 12, verse 7. <laughs> that was good. I was joking. You called my bluff. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelation, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. It's okay to ask for the thorn to leave. Paul says, God, I know you've got the power to make this pain go away. He asked three times. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I'd rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproach and needs and persecution and distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is what I believe God has been attempting to teach me the last few months is I want the point of pain many times to go away. I want the quick fix. God, please just, just make my life peaceful. Make my life lacking any trials, lacking any difficulty. And I'm finding, at least for this season in my life, the Lord's saying, no, I want these challenges. I've ordained these challenges. These are pitfalls that I've ordained so that you can experience this grace that comes outside of yourself. Sometimes we need to not run away from the pain, but embrace the pain and start to look for the grace. But here's the promise. Brothers and sisters in Christ, here's the promise. There's no difficulty that God's grace is not deeper still. There's an access here to grace and help that's sufficient for the need. Doesn't mean the pain goes away. Doesn't mean the discouragement doesn't go away. It means that God meets us with grace, strength, many times daily to get us through. So we have access. Let's go back to Romans and let's continue with this great list. Access by faith into his grace which we stand. Before we move on in this list, what does it say? By faith. So if we're going to experience the grace, we have to approach God with faith. God, I trust you. I trust your promise. You told me that you would give me grace. You told me that you'd give me strength and weakness. So by faith, we're justified. And then also by faith, we access this grace. Now let's think about this logically for just a second. If we have the faith to believe that God could justify us, do we have the faith to believe that God could give us grace and trial? Which is bigger? justification. Justification is far bigger. So yet we so quickly receive that, but yet we have difficulty trusting and believing the Lord in the midst of those difficulties, me included. The next thing is we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. The word rejoice means exactly what it sounds, to take joy again. So we're taking joy again in hope of the glory of God. So there's peace with God, there's access to grace, and now there's joy and hope. So justification for peace, grace to stand, and hope for joy. So we're taking 
joy, in hope. What does hope mean? Now, hope doesn't mean a wish or a whim. A wish or a whim is like this. I hope that the Broncos win the Super Bowl this year. See, that's not biblical hope. That's a wish. Or even more so, if you're like a Raiders fan, I hope they win three games this year. <laughs> Having some fun here, aren't we? That, that's, that's a, I hope I'm going to get a raise this year. I, I hope things are, are going to work out. That's the way we culturally use the word hope. But biblically, it's the confident expectation of coming good. We hope for the glory of God. We go through our lives with the confident expectation of coming good. We know that heaven is our destiny. We know that heaven is our eternal home. And so we take hope, we take joy in the glory of God, that someday we're going to see his face. That's what was the anchor for Job. As you go through the book of Job and the trials that he went through, Job 19 in the midst of his friends trying to sort this out for him, he says, this is what I know. In my flesh, I shall see God. He had hope in what? He had hope in the glory of God. And that's the anchor to our souls as well. And we have to take hope in it. We got to put stock in it. Everything is tugging on our hearts and our lives to try to put our hope in things of this world. But God's saying, no, put hope in the glory of God. You're going to see God. And also, we know that the scripture tells us we're going to see God work in our lifetime. We don't always see, but a lot of times we do see. Okay, Lord, I understand. You're working this together for good. You have a plan. You're in this. You're revealing your glory to me and others through these difficulties. Now, the first three of these are easy to accept. We have peace with God. We have access to grace. We have hope in the glory of God, joy in the, in the glory of God. But verse 3 is much more challenging to accept. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Now, I got to tell you, I'm not there yet. I'm not practically at that place when something goes wrong where I'm just glorying in it. Oh, Lord, just thank, I just thank you so much for this. Thank you that my car just broke down. Praise you for that. I'm not there yet. Maybe someday I will get there, but I'm not there yet. But that's where Paul's at. And this is where he's encouraging us to be, is to actually take glory in the tribulations. I think this is something that Paul learned through his life. Doesn't come naturally, but this is what we found in 2 Corinthians 12 as well. He's saying, I'm, I'm learning to accept it. In fact, I'm going beyond learning to accept it, and I'm actually glorying in it. I'm actually rejoicing in this tribulation, because I know that God is at work. It takes eyes of faith to glory in tribulation. Why? Because knowing that the tribulation produces perseverance. Trials, tribulations, it produces in us perseverance. What, what does perseverance mean? It means to abide under pressure. No fun, but so needed in our lives, isn't it? How many times in our own personal character and in the character of our culture as a whole do we miss out on the good that God has ahead of us because we buckle under pressure? We give up under pressure. And so God's teaching us and he's training us to persevere, to abide 
under pressure, to keep going, to keep rowing, long obedience in the right direction. How is this built up? It's built up through tribulation, similar to exercise. You start exercising and your body's like, I'm going to die. I'm going to die right here, right now. I am dead. And I've only been jogging for two minutes and I'm dead. And it says that I've only burned 12 calories. This is, this is pointless, you know. And then somehow you persevere and you make it to that initial goal of five minutes. You're like, wow, I didn't die. I made it. So a couple weeks later, what's the goal? Six minutes on the treadmill. And you get to that two-minute mark and get the ache in your side. You're, I know I can do it. I've been here before. Get to the five-minute mark, press through, and get to the six-minute mark. And then at some point, you actually end up starting to enjoy it. You start looking forward to it. Your body knows, I can get through this. Hiking 14ers here in Colorado, mountains that are 14,000 feet tall, is more of a mental game than a physical game. The first time I ever hiked any, any 14ers, my mind and my emotions and everything inside of me was saying, you can't do this. You've got to quit. You've got to, you're, you're not going to make it. And then a lot of these mountains, they're false summits. So you're looking, going, that's the summit, and you get there, and yet you've still got a long ways to go. It's mentally paralyzing when that happens. But when you make it to your first 14er, something happens to your mind, your emotion, your soul, your will, and you go, wow, this is beautiful. The first 14er I got to, I could see Pike's Peak, and I could also see Long's Peak, and a bunch of peaks out west that I don't even know their name of. It's beautiful panoramic view. So what happens on your next 14er? You got that in your soul. I can, I can do this. One, one step at a time, one foot forward. What happened? Perseverance was built up. The same thing happens spiritually. God says, okay, here's a trial. I'm going to die. I'm not going to make it through this. I can't abide under pressure. I need a vacation. I really need a vacation. I'm going to treat myself to another cup of coffee because I deserve it, you know. Just, what's the solution here? And God's just keep going. Don't get weary in doing good. Don't lose heart. Just, just keep going. And then as you see that work out, there's a moment. There's a summit moment. And you get there and you go, okay, I got perspective. I'm seeing what the Lord's doing. And that you need to journal and that you need to write down, and that you need to record, because there's going to be another mountain to climb. There's going to be another moment where we feel like giving up. If you feel like giving up tonight, would you take hope and take heart, look at the cross, and I'm preaching to myself here, and continue in that direction that God has for you. Press on and press forward. God's working in us this character of perseverance, and after perseverance comes character. This is godly character. These are the things that we long for so much in our lives. Love and joy and peace and patience. Christ-like character. This kind of character doesn't come from reading books. Reading books will help us understand what it is. But it comes through trial. There's only one way to develop this kind of character in our lives. And it's to go through trial. It's to go through difficulty. There's an aspect of learning that's happening here in the sanctuary. It's the lecture, and it's important, but then it goes to the lab, and it goes to the school of hard knocks. It goes to when things aren't going well, 
And that's really where God is working on our character. We have to see this through the eyes of faith because in the midst of the trial, we don't see it. It's when we get through the trial that we look back hindsight and we go, God was doing something in my character. God was teaching me more about Jesus Christ. I'm sure you would probably say this of some things in your life. When you've gotten through a really hard season and you look back, there's a part of you that wouldn't trade it because you learned more about Christ. And that's where he did a work in your life. I've got a saying, and sometimes it's been misunderstood, but real life change doesn't happen at Disneyland or Disney World. And I know God can touch people's hearts at Disneyland and he blesses them with vacation, but real deep works in our character aren't happening at Waterworld. What I'm saying by that is it's an analogy, go there with me, that real character is not developed in the high points of life. That we can be grateful for those and experience those. Real challenge brings about that real transformation of character. There was a pastor with his wife that was listening to a young pastor preach. And this young pastor was a great orator. He was golden-tongued, wonderful illustrations, enthusiastic. And the wife came home and she was blown away. She said, oh, he did such a, a great job. And her husband, who was also a pastor, said, he did do a great job, but he'll be even better after he suffered. Because there's something that happens in our souls when we suffer. There's a transformation that takes, care, take, takes place in our character. So if you're in trial tonight, take hope, have confidence in the glory of God. God's working perseverance, he's working character, but he's also working hope. He's bringing us to a biblical definition of hope. Have you found this to be true in your life? Trials have a way of refining and reorienting our hope into eternal things. When things are going relatively well in our lives, it's very easy to have hope on the here and now. But when there's difficulty, when there's trial, all of a sudden we put our hope in God alone. The songs that Jason picked tonight were perfect for our passage. Many of them had to do with hope and holding on to hope in the midst of trial. Whenever someone goes through those difficulties and challenges, when I go through those difficulties and challenges, it refines our hope. It produces in us character. It produces in us that kind of, of hope. So justification for peace, grace to stand, hope for joy, tribulation for character, never comfortable, but always worthwhile. And the last is love for the heart in verse 5. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Christmas is upon us. I think my daughter this morning told me it's 23 days away or 22 days away. Our eight-year-old, she's made her own calendar. She's marking off every day. Do you know how much hope there is under the Christmas tree for young kids? Eight's about the perfect age, maybe six. You run down there and you start digging through those presents but it is the giant recipe for disaster for children, isn't it? 
Because there's no way to get everything on that list. And we kind of set our kids up for failure. What's your Christmas list? And they put everything down there and you want your kids to dream. So they put down things that are just absolutely unrealistic. And you see it all over their face. Hope has disappointed. (laughs) I didn't get everything on the list. And then there's this smidgen of conviction. Oh, mom and dad, they gave me gifts, so I need to find a way to be thankful for this. But they've experienced the disappointment of hope. Happens to us as well. You get that car. You know that car. You've been saving for it, or maybe you haven't been saving for it, but either way, you got that car, and there's hope in that car. This car is going to run. This car is going to solve all my problems. This car is Christ incarnate, pretty much. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, the sucker breaks down right after the warranty wore out. We have a large family, so we bought a large front loader washer. We were so excited. We saved our pennies, Maytag, American made, you know, just huge loads that we can put in there and do all this laundry. You know how long that expensive Maytag front loader washer lasted? Not even 18 months. Not even 18 months. That's hope disappointed, let me tell you, (laughs) right there. And God was gracious. He provided a new washer for absolutely free. That's a banger, but it's worked. It just works. The sucker just keeps on working. And so many times in life, we have hope that just crashes and burns because it's in the wrong place. But the love of God, it says, the love of God does not disappoint. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Why can we have hope? Because we've experienced the love of God by the Holy Spirit. So as we follow through this text, the foundation is peace with God that comes from justification. And then verse five, it's kind of topped off with the love of God being poured into our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. I love these kind of moments when the Holy Spirit just does infuse into our hearts, you know what, you're loved by God. God loves you. He gave his son for you. He's there for you. His character is something that you can trust and and you can hold on to. There's times that God does that through the power of his Holy Spirit. There's times that we have to hold on to the love of God, not based on our feelings, but a choice of faith. When you take communion tonight, you look at his broken body represented in the bread. You look at the cup, which represents his shed blood. And by faith, you say, God, I know you love me. I know you love me, so I can trust you. In the midst of the trial, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of things not not working out, it's your love that I can rely upon. If we don't know the love of God, if we're not relying upon the love of God, it will be difficult for us to be sustained in the midst of the trials of life. It's the love of God that is the anchor to our souls. When we're confronted with what we don't understand, which is frequent and often, amen? When we're confronted with what we don't understand, we must rely upon what we do understand, and it's the love of God. Okay, God, I don't feel your love right now. I don't understand how this can be loving, 
that you would allow this to happen, but I know you're good. I see your character. You sent your son to die for me, so I'm trusting that, and I'm holding on to that. If you gave me your son, how will you not freely give me all good things? Lord, this isn't where I would want to be, but this is where you want me to be. And it's his love that's holding us. So here we are, persevering in trial. God's building character, but he's very present. He's there to minister his love to us. We're going to close in a little different way. So I'm going to read these five verses again. And then we're going to ask that the Lord would apply them to our lives. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into the grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would apply these things to our lives right now through the power of your Holy Spirit. We thank you that we have been justified by faith and we have peace with God. We have peace with you. We thank you for that peace. We, we thank you that it's unshakable. Even our own sin and our own failure doesn't bring us out of that position that we have with you. We're so thankful that we're not the objects of your wrath, but objects of your grace and forgiveness. It seems like it would be missing the mark to talk of your grace tonight and talk of the access that we have to it without running into your arms. Thank you, Jesus, that you're our high priest, that you sympathize with our weakness and we come boldly to your throne right now. We each have things in our lives that we need God's grace, we need his help in. Would you take that to Jesus right now in your own heart? And by faith, we receive that grace. We rejoice in hope. Jesus, we look forward to the day that we're going to see you. We know that is true. We're going to behold you. We're going to bow down before you. We're going to hug you. You're going to hug us. We're going to enjoy all of eternity together. We put our stock there. We base our lives there. We, we hope. God, many times in our lives, we don't glory in tribulation. We we're not thankful for them. We're wanting them to depart. But we do see through your word that you're working on us through trial. You're building perseverance. You're building character. You're infusing hope. So we trust that work. God, would you help us to persevere? Would you help us to submit upon your altar for you to work in us? Would you pour out your love through the power of your Holy Spirit? 
may it be dispersed in our hearts in abundance. But each person that's here tonight know that they're loved by you, they're created by you, that you have a plan for them, that you haven't abandoned them. Would you bless this time of communion? Minister to our hearts. Jesus, you tell us that you came to heal the brokenhearted. Would you provide that healing? Your word tells us that you're the Father of mercy and the God of all comfort. Father, would you comfort? Would you minister?